You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds, and Danny V back again. All the way to the end of Solari Gentles, The Woman in the Library this time. The newest released book we've ever covered close to its release Woo! on the show. And I, I have to say, as we approach and reach and read the final chapter of this novel, that I am a very confused man. Well, uh, thanks all of us then. <laughs> Genuinely? Yeah. I'm so curious. We reached the end of this book and we have this lovely scene of, of Marigold and Freddy discussing the, the nature of the case, the nature of the crime, and then asking to themselves how they're going to leave without running into the press. And then the elevator door opens and Leo says he's here to help. Now tell me, everyone, what did you think Leo meant by help? Nothing good. Can I Can I be completely honest? When I first read this, I kind of skimmed the last couple of lines. went, oh, Leo's here. He's here to help. That sounds positive. But then I, then I read it again and realized that he was standing in the corner of the elevator as they entered it and did not make his presence known until they were already halfway down to the murder basement. <laughs> and I don't think I need to conclude that but um yeah not great oh <laughs> uh, it's so sad it's it's just so strange it's so strange how leo in hannah's world and leo in freddy's world like keep converging and diverging leo in in freddy's world is so nice and they're discussing relationships and what it means to love and then hannah's leo is like oh yeah black people they can't be in books what are you on about? And it's like back to Wait, back. Hold on. They can be in books, but you need to warn people if you're going to have a black person in your book, just in case. Just in case. Just in case what, Leo? You get attached to them or relate to the character, and then and then you realize they're black, and then it becomes a problem. Just, That's how it works. It, he has no filter, yeah, this guy. But, but here's the crazy thing, right, is that those things seem so opposite. But Solari still manages to make it feel like it's coming from the same person. And it bewilders me. Well, that's because he's such an unhinged person. Because I think even when you read his emails, he is so up and down. One minute he's you think he's being, you know, he's articulate and intelligent and giving advice. And the next minute he'll have this really cynical sort of almost scary dig at her. And so I think he's capable or incapable of regulating his emotions. So I think he can kind of almost put on any face he wants for small periods of time. I think he slips into, you know, the creep. But she does, his character, I think his character is the best, the best one, one of the best I've ever read, and particularly in this book. He's so intriguing because there are no answers and we don't hear from Hannah and there are still so many questions at the end. But he's a remarkable character. His voice is so strong. Yeah, he's so credibly unhinged, yes. I think, is, is, the main, is the main thing that I took away. Yeah. And I also love that we don't get an email from him in the last chapter because, of course, the second last chapter has his email from prison where he's like, oh, sorry, it's a bit hard to email. The penitentiary <laughs> rules are a bit strict. The draconian <laughs> says... And he says, but don't worry, I've left some cupcakes in your kitchen. Oh, you're like mm. you'd eat them. They're on, left on your bench. <laughs> I know. Yeah, literally in her house. Thank you so like, much. No. And no, you, I you said to those. me, two, one or two episodes ago, how would he get cameras into her house? He, he got cupcakes. He got yeah. cupcakes to, on to her be fair, kitchen he bench. He got cupcakes there by flying there to visit where he was then sting-operated by the FBI, <laughs> I believe. 
So the cameras are probably yeah. there with the cupcakes, not before. I would agree with that, yeah. Wouldn't be eating those cupcakes. I definitely Hot wouldn't tip. be eating those cupcakes. <laughs> I'd burn them and then sweep the room. I don't think cameras. the FBI would let her eat those cupcakes if she tried. <laughs> That's evidence. There are a couple of elements of the, of the wrap-up of this story. Like, you've obviously mentioned the fact that Leo shows up in an elevator with a knife and nothing more is said. But like, is there a knife? There's, there's also the entire. No, there's not a knife. He's there to cut the cupcakes. Yeah, there you go. Danny's got it. Thank you. But like, even we, we even have the whole struggle scene where they're like, "Oh, Marigold did it," and then they walk in on Wit and Marigold, and Kane gets shot, and they're like, "Oh, well, I guess I guess Wit's done it. He's the one holding the gun." They kind of stumble into the solution at the end, which is very strange. But we don't actually know who got shot by the final gunshot. Like, I assume it was Wit, but I don't think it's actually confirmed. Correct me if, I, if I'm if i wrong, if I missed I, it, but like- You're correct, but I think that also yeah. really neatly parallels what allegedly happened with Carolyn, because the, the claim that Wit makes is that he doesn't actually know how Carolyn died, even though he supposedly killed her. Oh, so uh, and, yep. and it seems that it was like a similar scramble for the gun. And I think what Solari's done in that scene is shown- what happened to Carolyn without answering the question directly mm. through this first person perspective that kind of lends you the understanding of why Wit can't even answer that question when he's asked it. I often find, you know, this is chapter 33 in this book is when we sort of all, it all comes to a head and we find out, you know, that it's not Marigold, that it's Wit. And I, I sometimes fear those chapters in books because I feel like sometimes they're just an information dump. But I actually think she, <laughs> Solari did it really well because I just feel like it was part of the action. You know, even though it was wrapping everything up, there was so much action in it. She continued the dialogue. She continued the character banter. There was confusion and a bit of chaos. But we managed to get our explanations without it feeling like that here is now my explanation yep. dump of all the little loose ends that I'm going to tie up for you. So I didn't feel that. And it was quite refreshing not to have, not to feel that. It's a bit of a cliche, but I definitely think that uh, Wit having the gun and pointing it at our protagonist and saying, I'll silence you, twiddling his mustache as he does. Like, it's effective. <laughs> like, these characters, because obviously, like, Solari, she lives with her characters when she's writing a novel in the same way that, Kane has his web of conspiracy because he's been embroiled in crime and and Freddie has her boss that she like travels on with her characters. And so the idea that these characters will continue to travel or in the case of when we get to like Leo being in the elevator, maybe it's also okay to just like eviscerate your characters in a fountain of blood. Like either way. But don't forget they overcame wit with a gun. So, yeah. you know, there's a possibility that they could do it again. It's true. It's true. I'm sure that the the real life character of Leo being given a character on in in the story has no more power than Wit, who is based on nobody that we know of. I'm sure. I'm sure that's not like a through line that we could follow in metafiction, uh, in general. I'm saying their odds aren't likely. Is what they, I'm saying. Yeah, the, the odds may not be great. I thought nah. the example that was really interesting in that respect, though, in terms of like a, a bit of narrative disposability, though, is uh, Boo or Sean Jacobs. Oh my goodness, he shows up for like such a tiny bit and serves such a specific role in telling us like what these characters' pasts were, and then is offed so immediately. He's so sad, and it's really interesting how like metafictionally his narrative is justified through the times when Freddie, for example, goes to a bookstore, buys Kane's book and finally reads it and is like, oh, I start to see the pieces here. <laughs> After so long, as I was saying, of her just being so enveloped in this 
very cringeworthy sense of romance. Why do you hate romance, Flex? Why are you so against romance in your murder mysteries? Good I was grief. discussing this with a listener, Herds, and I, I boiled it down uh, with this listener to the fact that I think that most people's real-life romances are really cringeworthy. They are. And That's what th- makes that makes beautiful. it really difficult to write a narrative romance oh. that isn't cringeworthy. No. See, I think most... Are we talking about romances or relationships? Both. Because I, like, I hate to say it, but 90% of most relationships after a while, they're boring, right? So I feel like people are looking for something in fiction that might be a bit cringeworthy, if you like, but I think people are looking for that because they, they've lost it somewhere in their own lives. Maybe maybe that's the truth. Maybe I'm just so successful that I don't need to read the cringe herds. It's true. He has so many relationships. God, that was painful to know. say. Why did I do that? <laughs> I don't know, Flags. You I think we need so to do. I, I think we need to do a romance me, novel. We need to do oh. one of these flex and herds and just a special romance uh, episode. Look, special is this? Is this your invitation for us, Danny? Are we coming on Words and Nerds to read a romance yeah. book? Oh god, why not? Oh, sure. Let's do oh. that. Listen, yes. name a book, and I suppose one. I'll be there. Look, I'm not even a huge fan of romance. I definitely respect the genre because it's, you know, very popular. But um, I'm, I'm crime at heart, but we might just do it for fun. We might go Jane Austen. Oh, that's dangerous. That's dangerous territory. He's not ja- anything but Jane Eyre. Good grief. Just through Dracula. That's got romance in it. doesn't wait a Flexes second. now. He's turned my video off. He's kicking me off the Zoom. He's like, oh, no. Talking about Jane Austen. You know, we may have to debrief a little bit while this next clip that we have with Solari airs. But uh, I'm, I'm going to have to put a pause on this here we'll be back to discuss the mystery at the end of the show after i've chastised danny v (laughs) you're listening to death of the reader we are discussing solari gentles the woman in the library all the way to the end full spoilers all on that solari's up next talking with us and then we'll be back as i said to talk a bit about the mystery stick around you're on 2ser 107.3 You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here with you. I'm about to throw you back over to the continuation of our discussion with Solari Gentil about the woman in the library. More of this discussion will be going up on the podcast later this week where you can hear the full close to an hour of it. When we left off, we were talking about how Solari crafts her stories a bit like sculptures chiseled away from a block of proverbial marble. Let's jump right back into that. Past me. Take it away. I, I need to know, did you at any point give a draft reader of this book just Freddie's story or just Leo's emails? And if so, how did they fare? No, I didn't. Because <laughs> they didn't ever exist separately. Um, so they were written in the order that you see them in the book. The one thing I did do, which was interesting, I sent the draft to Larry and Larry commented on that very first draft and I just put them into Leo's letters, his comments. Is he he going to cut the profits on the book? No. (laughs) Don't get any ideas, Larry. (laughs) Poor Larry. He's the real victim in this story. He's he's a wonderful writer himself, actually. So he he could so having that correspondence with someone who understood what it was to write, mm. uh, and that's why I did want to make Leo a writer as well, because there's a a particular sort of understanding and relationship that goes with you know people who who try and turn this into its whatever dubious profession it is. <laughs> One thing that makes Leo so painful in both layers of reality, is his inability to see context, particularly when his email self starts talking about the entertainment value of global disasters that have killed millions or joining protests just to get some violence in there and, like, how convenient masks make 
the act of murder in general. Why is context so important to entertainment, Solari? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think the thing with Leo is that all of those things that he says mm-hmm. could be said face-to-face as a joke and it would just be black humour. But when it's written, it's a different thing. There's an element of serious creep in it. So mm. I think I think the thing that I realised through writing this novel is that there is a difference between the written word and the spoken word. So people say stupid things all the time and they make bad jokes that are inappropriate all the time. But when it's spoken, it's less... Well, you don't have evidence of it three days later. What you see instead of Hannah's emails, you see, see the chapter that she writes yes. in in response. And, and I think what I was trying to say in that is that the, the most powerful way that writers speak is in the stories they write. It makes me feel like the sort of through line here is that Leo is writing an email which should not be spontaneous but his, like, surface thoughts or his you know, the emotions that he's feeling are leaking into the emails course, the further the story goes on. Well, he's writing to right? a friend and yeah. you do that with friends. You you let that because they they treat that as a as a conversation. He thinks he's writing to a friend and he is for the, mo- for well, the beginning. Well, he thinks it's a friendship all the way through or perhaps something yeah, more, something whereas more. Hannah, of course, goes in the opposite direction. You know so. what's really interesting about this? I've had beta readers read it. Those who weren't writers loved Leo in the beginning. They thought he was just lovely and, oh, and giving it. and generous and funny. And every writer who read it hated him from page one. Yep. Can I tell you, <laughs> we have a list of characters. You know how I said, like, I don't remember character names, so I'll just remember a thing about them. Leo, God, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> that was his description <laughs> because I didn't think anything else was significant enough. I have a, I have a dear friend who uh, we've been friends since we were 12 and she gets my first draft. Her comment on the manuscript was that she felt it was a bit of a shock when he suddenly turned into a bad guy. She didn't see it coming. Mm. And then uh, this, I had also handed the, the manuscript to my friend Dan O'Malley and he hated Leo from the minute. <laughs> and then he said, he's, you know, forget about murdering people. He's telling her how to write. <laughs> he just, um, so I kind of was hoping that people would actually not suspect him from page one as as being evil. But clearly telling someone how to write is unforgivable. Yeah, well, it becomes more... Uh, explicit about his directions in her writing as it goes on. And Mm. I think that as much as I hate Leo, it is kind of tragic that he doesn't actually get to see the end of the book. At at the time of the final email, at least, he says, well, it's such a shame I'm in in prison, but I hope that you really enjoyed showing us how awful Cain was (laughs) and, you know, all of these things that he's like, obviously this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is what I know you've done because we're on the same wavelength, right, like yeah. all that stuff. Um, well, look, I just hope he's never paroled and then reads the end of the book because <laughs> Hannah's be in bad. a lot of trouble. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of the end of the book, yes. I say whilst carefully trying to avoid spoiling it, Crossing the Line's ending felt fairly concrete. Despite being open-ended, there was a sense that you knew exactly what came next, which I don't get as much from the woman in the library. There's perhaps a horrible threat in the ending, perhaps a warm welcome, but almost no way to tell if its danger is real given the separation between email Leo and Freddy's neighbor Leo. What does Leo's rival at the end mean to you? 
or is the question the point? It is. Well, a bit of both. In the end, I wanted Leo's arrival to weave the two stories together. So they were basically going along in parallel. And at that point, they and, and at some point they start to merge. And that's the point at which they they become one. In a way, um, it, it's funny, I, so many people have interpreted this differently. My, my sister uh, came to the end of that where Leo comes in and says, you know, I thought you might need my help. Mm. And she thought that that was a statement of, yeah, in the end, Leo was just trying to help her. <laughs> and it was, it was Hannah's acknowledgement of the fact that Leo was just trying to help her throughout. It's so interesting. Which is, which is interesting, isn't it? I, I like the idea, the way that I kind of came away from this novel, because look, I, looked, I like to see the positive in things, is the idea that even though Leo was horrible and I hate him, uh, she managed to take this horrible person and use him as a force for good, effectively, because the implication is that, like, Leo's going to help them get past the reporters at the end. He's going to, like, oh, did you it. think that? I thought yeah. he was going to kill them in the elevator. Really? <laughs> really? Is that really where you thought I was going? Well, I, I thought that was a possibility. I thought it was creepy. I mean, it is creepy. I thought it like, was really creepy to be trapped in an elevator with this guy. I mean, guy. it is creepy, I, but... I clearly got way too hung up on the question here. I was like, oh, <laughs> any of them could happen. Any of them, and, and yeah. truly any of them. That could be an inter... I, I, look, I just, I like the idea that even though the real Leo is awful and we hate him, the Leo in the book can be a slightly more positive change. That's should, my that's my dream, and don't crush it so hard. I should introduce you to my sister. She clearly has that kind of <laughs> Disney spin on it. And look, and, and <laughs> I love Disney. That's my whole my whole brand image. Herds, the Disney fan. I can show you the world. Don't get us copyright struck. That's okay. That's all we got. But I think um, you know. Look, and again, it is. I really like the idea of readers walking away thinking the ending. I hope allows the reader a little bit of scope because what we really want to do is we want to engage the reader enough that they care enough to imagine their own ending or they, they care enough to decide whether that ending is is creepy and dangerous or is a positive Butterflies and moment. sunshine. <laughs> Who knows? It could be either. And maybe there's a wedding on the horizon. I don't know. <laughs> it was just, Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I know. But each to his own. <laughs> each to his own, Felix. <laughs> I guess, I guess, you know, Freddie did nearly date one murderer. What's another? What's one more murderer? Yes. It's tough for a book. Solari, it has been wonderful having you back on Death of the Reader, and I have been delighted reading this novel and getting to discuss it with you. So thank you so much for joining us finally in person again. Yes. Yes, isn't it wonderful? And it's always a pleasure, guys. I'll come back anytime even without a book. You've been listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here speaking with Solari Gentil. We'll be back with more of The Woman in the Library in just a moment. Stick around. You're listening to 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour with Danny V from Words and Nerds. And we are here for the final debrief of Solari Gentil's The Woman in the Library, right up until review season where we have to desperately try and not put it in first place again because it it feels a little silly giving Solari the award that she sponsors. Herds, I'll, I'll be honest. We can't do it. It's We can't let her hand herself another award. <laughs> Why not? At least not two years in a row. Because it just cool. feels a little... It's 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 just my gonna feed her ego. And I'm handing I award myself this award. 
Like, would you like to voice it's, Solari? It's it entertaining, the- <laughs> but I feel it it tarnishes what little remaining credibility we have. You could do one of those TikToks where she's actually handing herself an award. You know, there's two of her. <laughs> Maybe we should. Maybe Herds, we should get into book talk. Maybe that's what we're missing. Book talk. I haven't heard of book talk, but oh, see, I, I, I know what I'm is. deeper in the rabbit hole than you are. I can tell. Taking uh, the world my... by storm. Did oh, you know? I'm the old man. All right, it's a bit of a tangent, right? But you know that there, there's a resurgence of these books that haven't been published or they're out of print for mm-hmm. 10, 20 years because of book talk. Oh, and yeah. So they're putting them back on the it. map. And now bookstores actually have sections that say, you know, not crime or fantasy, but book yeah. talk. The big one that crossed our sphere, uh, somewhat fittingly, metafictionally, is uh, Kane's Jawbone blew up on, on mm. book talk oh, yeah. last year. The the gimmick of that one basically being it's a murder mystery or all of the pages are out of order and the main mystery is having to put the pages back in I, order. I would love to do that. The problem is you can only do it once. <laughs> Like let's let's. So I think the three of us need to get together and do a book talk. I don't think we, I think the problem is is that we couldn't do just one. Like if you're in book talk, you got to you got to kind of commit a little bit. Got to go deep. Go to a series. Anyhow, Flex. the mystery of the woman in the library I thought is fascinating, and I, I wanted to talk points. Herds. Oh, you you pulled a real clever sneaky one. I thought by uh, putting your theory in the first week. I, I you've probably noticed I've been trying and failing to do that every book so far this year. And you beat me to the punch, Look, and I'm very irritated. I figured I might as well go out swinging, especially <laughs> with Danny V. I thought that, you know, Danny V's going to figure it out immediately, so I better have something of my own out so nobody can say that I've, like, stolen her idea. Sorry to be so um, disappointing. <laughs> so, well, you know, no, no. Look, I loved your theory. It was fantastic. But the point is I thoroughly enjoyed having a crack in the first set of chapters it is a challenge i think herds i'm gonna give you three points out of the possible I'll four take, for this one that's generous only topping three. you because i still don't understand how you thought carolyn palfrey was was alive <laughs> i thought that was gonna be the twist look as far as we know whit isn't even dead they could have been a story with with no murder except for you know it was a very brave prediction i'll give you that but bravery is not accuracy <laughs> now look, before I'm, you award me my points please get they're in an elevator I think they're going down to the basement. I agree. Danny, are you familiar with The Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Have you read C.S. Lewis's series of Narnia books? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, good, good. You know the little rat who's like, he's like a rat knight and he plays chess with all the kids and he's terrible at it because he's his mind was filled with valorous charges and, and selfless sacrifices and so he just sucked at chess. <laughs> that last part was not verbatim. That's my that was definitely my own words. But, but that's... That's how I approach murder mystery. I'm not here to win it. I'm here to charge my king forward, get it taken by the queen, and go, that was a good game. My king died valiantly. Interesting. Anyway, I'll take three points. <laughs> now, here's here's what I'm going to suggest, Danny. The way, the way that it works here on the show is that we have what we call the red shirts, the away team, for everyone who can't be on the show regularly so that their totals are all added up to compete against uh, Herds and I. Ah, interesting. And mm-hmm. what I was going to offer you is because spiritually – uh, since Herds posed his his final theory in the first week while you weren't here, that if you wanted, you could claim three points for the away team. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't you screw me. But if you feel guilty about it, I can award you two points for the theory that you gave us on last week's episode of the show. So, I mean, the, the choice is yours. Do you feel like taking the honorable way out or the frugal way out, you know? The chivalrous way. Be that little rat knight. Look, I'm just saying, Danny... It's always down to the wire when we do points at the end of the year. And I don't think I've won yet. I could use an extra point. I'm just saying. Or three hmm, points, however many it is. Interesting. Chivalrous or frugal? What? Who am I? Who 
am I? Who are you, Danny? Are you a little rat? Who are you a, an Edward mm. or Edmund, whatever the heck his name was? He turned into a dragon, but it sucked. God, I are you have a to dragon get a shiver or so. I'm going to lose sleep over oh. these. I overthink Ooh. everything. Two points for the away team then. Oh. Danny, I thought- I, thought, I, hate, I hate myself. I, I think the <laughs> the general approach to the theory in terms of like trying to find the mystery in like Leo's story is so much fun because even though the actual- moment that we get to of Leo showing up in the elevator isn't necessarily or explicitly them going to that basement, but it is very (laughs) much that moment, I think, of the writer being in Leo's presence and in danger that was really nice to see coming Mm. as as the twist. Because of the way that Leo is portrayed as so intangible across the entire story, you know, he's never really doing any actions when he's in Freddy's world and he's always so fictionally distant when he's in, uh, when he's in Hannah's that it's like, it's really good fun to kind of see how he can physically enter the story at any point and actually, you know, use verbs for once. I just thought it was very clever how you're right. He was via email, then he was in prison, yet he was still very scary. And I thought that was very clever, particularly in a crime novel, because we're used to that person who creates fear in us being there, you know, being a presence, peeping through your windows, that kind of stuff. But he was not physically there for the most part, and yet he was still the most terrifying part of the novel. I I thought the the thing that did frust me about this book's mystery, though, is the way that most of the, like, I guess answer clues is what I'd call them, the one that let you pick between your options, were consigned to the last third. It made it kind of difficult to divvy up the chapters in this because there's a whole bunch of great moments, like when Marigold and Wit ask Freddy out for dinner, and Freddy declines and then Wit bails because what Wit's realized in that scene is, of course, that Kane is going to go and try and hang out with Freddy and he's trying to manipulate Kane so he needs to be there. He needs to somehow witness it. Mm, But it's interesting too because that that clue is covered or hidden by Marigold being upset yes. by the whole, you know, romance. And so you miss it. She's such an effective smokescreen. But there's a possibility it's her right until the very end, you know, when she's outside Wit's window and we're thinking, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. So, you know, she keeps us hanging in that space all the time. And it's interesting because it goes towards stereotypes as well, you know, like she's the, the sort of strange girl. The she's Freud got girl. The Freud girl. She's got, you know, tattoos all over her torso, which I just loved about her. And so it's leaning into those stereotypes of she's got a bit of mystery about her and a bit of, you know, what's going on with her. So We were talking earlier about how uh, the romance kind of plays in this story and how, you know, Freddie doesn't see Kane's faults quite so clearly. But Marigold is in the pretty much the exact same situation. We've got these four friends, but really we've got two like romantic relationships and in order for one of those four characters to to be the murderer unless it's leo of course as leo as as leo points out it could be leo (laughs) we have to interrupt one of these these relationships and if it were a love triangle it could be kind of easy to pick the odd one out but because it's two parallel um, pairs of characters it's a bit trickier i think it's a good point as you mentioned there leo, you know, leo says oh maybe it could be me but i almost thought that all the times that leo's like oh maybe i could be the accomplice maybe i could be the murderer that like that was almost the clue that it wasn't because you know yeah, leo was well, leaning enthusiastically into the wrong answer every he's time he's a bit desperate you know well, that, that's his whole role isn't it like aside from his actual story that he has aside from the actual story character yeah, aside from that we, the book that we go through <laughs> aside from the actual story of his character um, the, his whole point is like, and I, I figured this out pretty quickly to, 
a light on answers that are incorrect. And that's that's like a big part of the reason why he's included in the book in the first place is because it's like it's it's the irony of it that he thinks he, he can write a better mystery than the author of the novel. Right? I think he's jealous of the fictional character too, Kane. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyhow, we should wrap this here. Danny, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on for these past two episodes. Before we let you go, where can people find Words and Nerds if they're curious to check it out? You can find Words and Nerds wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else, all over social media, Danny V underscore Words and Nerds. Come and come and find me if, if you you're a, If you're a mystery <laughs> nerd... And you wanna you wanna find a a recent episode to dive into the discussion uh, with Ben Hobson and Annie Reynolds about and then there were none was fantastic and I think if you if you're looking for an entry point coming from Death of the Reader that's a good a point as any but the show is generally wonderful and Danny's obvious enthusiasm for books and writing in general is just such a treat. So it's so good having you on finally after all this time. Yeah, thank you so much. I was, I was like I said, scared, nervous, anxious, excited, all of the above. But um, it was fantastic talking about this wonderful book with you. And um, you guys are really smart. I felt I had to bring my A game tonight. <laughs> if you say so, look, I'll take it. Speaking of terrifying things, mm. Herds. Yes, the next book. You're going to love this one, Flex. I hope you're excited for more libraries We'll be covering The Body in the Library by Agatha Christie. That's right. It's our Christie for the year. <laughs> our one Christie. The murder mystery <laughs> reviewer's equivalent of filing their taxes. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. And we're going to be covering, uh, this being the second of the Great Miss Marple books, we're going to be covering chapters one to eight and seeing what's been going on in a, a, an old, old men's mansion and what kind of body he might wake up to in his library. It's going to be great. Spooky. Alrighty. Horrifying. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We will be back with The Body in the Library by Agatha Christie. Chapters 1 One to eight. 8 next week on the show. Thank you for tuning in to your Murder Mystery World Tour. We'll uh, see you then. <laughs>